It's a phrase from popular movies. It's also a question that comes up in our daily life. The question is, is that even legal? We talk about the things that drive you crazy, the things you won't believe, and the things you need to know and understand. I'm attorney Bob Sewell, and this is the podcast, Is That Even Legal? Let's get started. Today's guest on the show is David Williams. David Williams is an attorney that practices in the area of administrative licensing and professional defense. David is an expert in the field of administrative licensing. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bob. I want to tell you a story, two, two stories actually, and, and that they're, they're, they're juxtaposed against each other. They seem kind of odd, I'll be honest with you. The first story is a story of a dentist in Arizona. Um, this dentist has a history of being, his, having his hand slapped, if you will, by the Arizona Board of Dentistry. He was working on a patient, for example, and an instrument uh, dropped down the throat of his client. Uh, he was working on a patient. He gave the patient five different uh, types of sedative medicines. And during the process of his uh, procedure, the patient dies. And then after he begins, uh, after when he's supposed to be being disciplined and he's not supposed to be practicing, he goes and practices anyways. And he ends up getting some complaints based on putting the, the, these people at risk for his poor uh, professionalism. On the other hand, we have a nurse. And this nurse is out in, I think she was in uh, Tennessee. And through a series of unfortunate events, she ends up administering the wrong medication, right? This is this was not a person who is, uh, uh, you know, it is not a person who is an evil person. It's not a person who's do, going out trying to do bad things. We're talking about a nurse, and these, and we all know these nurses are overstressed. They're they're pushed to the to the max. There's not enough of them, and. In the heat of the moment, she grabs the wrong medication. She administers the wrong medication, if I got the facts right, and the guy dies. She ends up losing her license, all right, fair enough. But then she takes it one step further, or the, the state takes it one step further, and they criminally prosecute her, and, charge, and she's found guilty of criminally, criminal negligent homicide. I, I, frankly, I'm flabbergasted because on the one hand, we got some guy who's out there do you know violating his the terms of his his uh, sanction from the dental board and do and he kills someone you know when he's practicing. And on the other hand, we have someone who doesn't have a history of misconduct and now she's being charged with criminally negligent homicide and found guilty of it and losing her livelihood, it just seems outrageous. 
Yeah, these are two extremes of the these are two opposite ends of extreme situations. So um the the case with the nurse out of Tennessee, her she was working as a nurse and she's working under the authority of a prescribing physician. There was an order put in for a, a sedative medication because the patient was gonna have like a, a closed MRI scan. And instead of giving her the sedative, um the nurse actually gave her a her, um a medication that actually causes paralysis and it caused that patient to stop breathing and she died. That nurse setting aside her error, like she made an error, but she did the right thing as far as she reported her error to her supervisors. There was an internal investigation at the hospital where she worked. Then there was a uh, an investigation by her licensing board in the state of Tennessee that issued her a nursing board license. And then she lost her license. She lost her job. There was actually a lawsuit that was filed that resulted in an out-of-court statement to the to the to the person who passed away. But then the state of Tennessee, a local district attorney, criminally prosecuted her, and that case raises a whole number of questions because um, you don't want to criminalize a medical error, and by doing that, if you criminalize a medical error, what you're doing is you're scaring nurses or scaring health professionals in general not to acknowledge when a mistake is made because we only learn from our mistakes in these situations. Now, you've got the opposite end of the spectrum with this Arizona dentist who um, had a history of some sort of prior discipline from the Arizona Dental Board of Examiners and still um, was practicing unsafely, which resulted in the death of a patient. And then rather than immediately taking this doctor's li- this dentist's license, they um, put him on a restricted practice, but then he violated those terms again. So you have almost two extremes where you have lax regulation, not enough regulation from one entity and over-regulation on the, end, on the other. So how do you, rec- how do you reconcile that? Um, and I think before you can reconcile that, Bob, I think you have to understand um, how people get licenses generally um, health less, for health professionals. And then how do those licenses get regulated? So let me just start there. Okay. Well, okay. Yeah. Before you go there, I, I want to, I want to go there. I want, I do, but I just want to say it, it's, it is an offensive in many respects because I have to be licensed. Right. And any professional who practices knows no professional practices perfect at whatever they do. They don't. It's not possible. We're not perfect. We will do things that that we know later that there's better ways to do them. It's just the way it is. It's called a practice, right? And I spent three years of my of law school, four years of undergrad. Nurses spent four years of, of undergrad. And sometimes we have people with masters in nursing. And you have doctors who spend you know, four years of undergrad, four years of residency, uh, four years of of uh, med school, then four years of residency or, or less or more. And you spend all this time, all this money. And we have to be perfect. That's what I feel like. And 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 and, and we're getting set in gas. And it's outrageous that that uh, nurse who was criminally charged. Outrageous. Yeah, it is It is absolutely outrageous. So that's the tension that's built into a system where you give people the privilege of having a professional license that lets them um, 
serve the public. Now, keep in mind this. Every person um, that seeks medical care is, is seeking and is putting their trust in the hands of a trained professional. They are putting their life in the hands of someone to treat whatever medical ailment they have, whether it's a root canal, a, a heart procedure, whatever the thing is. And so you put your hands and you put your life in the hands of someone. You want to ensure that that person knows what they are doing, that they're properly trained, that they're credentialed, that they've gone through a review process to make sure that they are competent to be able to provide the medical services that you are putting your that you are putting your life in their hands. So in in most states, every state has a licensing process for a health professional. And so I practice in Arizona. Um, and Arizona has different licensing boards for different health professionals. In fact, in Arizona, we have over 30 different regulatory boards that cover anything from licenses for a barber to an acupuncturist to health professionals. And before you can get a license, you have to be trained. You have to go get a formal education through medical school or chiropractic school or dental school, nursing school. And then you have to take a licensing exam. And then you have to go and cut, pass a background check. And then you get a license that's issued by your state licensing board. And then that's the purpose though of these boards is not to protect the professional. They are there to protect the public from the professional. And so their mission in every state that licenses health professionals specifically, their goal is to regulate their profession and the, and the the state actually allows the professionals to generally regulate themselves. They basically appoint to these licensing boards, doctors and people who work in that area to regulate themselves. And so those boards regulate their profession to ensure that the people that work in their profession are qualified, competent and safe to practice for the for the health seeking public. Now, that's the way it's supposed to be. What is scary is you have these two extreme situations where the system broke down. And with respect to the nurse, the system did what it was supposed to do. Like she lost her license. There was compensation to the family. And then the hospital where she worked implemented changes. You had um, the extreme situation of a prosecutor that decided they were going to criminalize that process, which I think is completely in error and blows the system up because the, the licensing system is built upon recognition of errors. We are not trying to create a perfect situation where um, people don't have a problem and problems never occur. What you want to do through a regulatory system that allows you to practice is to create a system where you can recognize an error and you can correct it either by, um, and we could talk about this in a few minutes, um, correcting that error by maybe retraining the physician, giving that that health provider some education, um, having them come under a tutor, like a professional practice manager, or maybe you pull them out of the practice for a while. You suspend their license and don't let them practice. So the system is self is designed to be self-correcting. In era, in the Arizona dentist example, the system did not self-correct, and that's the problem. So hmm. um, let me so let me. Before we kind of get into that, though, in order to understand why the system kind of had these extreme results, you kind of need to understand how the system works. So let me just sort of start there. So like I said, every person that generally works in a health profession has to have a professional license issued by a professional licensing board. Um, and the way these, these physicians, these health practitioners are governed is um, 
they are governed when a complaint comes in. So something happens that triggers an investigation by that licensing board, usually from a complaint by like a patient that's been harmed or from another professional, like another doctor that practices with a uh, health professional that made an error or a hospital reports them or a lawsuit was filed. And then there's a report from something called the National Practitioner Data Bank. So a complaint gets filed and then a licensing board opens an investigation. They gather facts. They they bring the, the health professional in to provide testimony or evidence. And from there, they then um, undergo a process to correct that health professional. And that process can involve a lot of different things. Um, it could involve um, just re-educating the doctor or the physician or the health professional, making them do some continuing education. You um could limit their practice for a period of time. You could um, put them under a practice monitor the, in a for a probationary period. Um, you could suspend their license for a period of time, or in really bad examples where there's really no way that they can be rehabilitated, you you take away their license, and that is very scary. That licensing complaint process is very scary for a health professional because you just identified. They go to school. They spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in their undergraduate education, their graduate education to get a, a degree that they stick on the wall. And now suddenly, because of some issue that comes up, sometimes rightfully or wrongfully, they run the risk now of losing their income and their ability to, to provide for themselves and their family. And so that is a very scary thing for a health professional. But at the same time, that's needed because you have the the medical seeking public that wants to ensure that the people that they're getting services from are safe to practice. So the system, oh. like I said, is supposed to balance itself out. But let me challenge you on that now. And, and I'm not saying that we should get rid of these. There's a portion of me that agrees with everything you're just saying that is so we could be have a, have a, a safe practice. There's another portion of me that says, come on, Dave, it's a, it's practically a rubber stamp to get the license. And then they only discipline you after there's a problem arises, right? It's it's only after there's a problem that you get any sort of discipline. It doesn't train them to be a good doctor. Uh, it it just it just you know there it is, right? I mean, so is it really helpful to the public? It is, and so it's helpful to the public on a couple different levels. One is. Um, let me take like a medical board. Generally, a medical board, um, you have to be, you know, you have to go through all of your professional training. You have to go through medical school and then you have to go do your residency and then you have to get your specialization and you have to pass your certification boards. And then you have to pass the licensing exam for that particular, you know, to obtain your medical license. So there's a lot of education and on the job training that goes into that. Um, then Every medical, every health professional that has a license anywhere across the country, even lawyers have to do this. They have to have continuing ongoing education every year or every two years to keep their license. And so if they don't continue their educational process, then they can run the risk of having their license taken from them. And then the third way that it, it's self-correcting is when a complaint comes in and a complaint is investigated and validated um, then there could be some sort of ramification, some sort of what we call discipline against that practitioner's 
professional license. So there are those those things that are built into it. Um, but frankly, for the for the licensed professional, going through a complaint investigation is a very, very stressful process because on the extreme, they could lose their professional license and their way of earning income. So it's very eye-opening for a lot of my clients, especially um, some of my clients that, you know, they put, they, you sometimes get a God complex when you're a health professional and you sometimes think that you are error-proof or bulletproof. And it's a very, very humbling process to have yourself sort of put under a microscope by your peers through a complaint process. And it's very stressful for a lot of them. And that in and of itself, that process is sometimes all the education a professional needs because they they are now very self-aware that their their future income opportunities could be put at risk. You, you know, you, you help a lot of healthcare professionals over the years. Do they, are they repeat customers? Or are they, or are they one and done? Tell me, um, tell me that they're one and done. That they, yeah, most they of them are one and done. On. Yeah, most of them are one and done. And in fact, like in the health area, let me just stay with like, um, it, like a doctor for an instance. You yeah. sort of see certain, um, fact patterns that develop as you do this long enough, and. Um, but most of these are are one and done. There, you typically see a complaint arise when there's a um, what we call an adverse event. You know, there's a um, somebody makes a medical error. You know, they they something happens during a surgical procedure. There's a failure to diagnose. There's a medication error, like the Tennessee example. Maybe there's a failure to prescribe medication. There's a um, they they don't get informed consent from the patient. The patient doesn't understand the ramifications of a procedure. Or, you know, you get the extreme situation where somebody drops a screw down your mouth during a dental procedure, like the Arizona example. So you see certain fact patterns that happen from, um, from what I call practice-related issues. That's where the majority of complaints come from. But you also see complaints come about because physicians deal with substance. There's... Um, they might have something that affects their fitness to practice. Like they've had a medical, they've had an injury, like a back injury, and they start taking med pain meds. And so suddenly they become addicted to a pain medication. And so now they start dealing with substance abuse issues. You have, um, sometimes you'll see situations where there's um, uh, opiate um, issues, or sometimes you even get um, inappropriate contact with a patient. You would be surprised. Um, there's actually been, uh, a heightened awareness, especially coming out of the Me Too movement, of physicians that are inappropriately touching or inappropriately being involved with a patient, which then obviously compromises their medical judgment if you're dating your patient. But some yeah. people, some <laughs> yeah, people just lose, yeah, some people <laughs> just lose their sense of sense of balance sometimes. So you see a lot of these kind of similar fact patterns when you deal with health professionals, but on the most part. Um, medical complaints that come in while there are, you know, there are a high number sometimes, most of them do not result in a taking of the physician's license because ma the majority of the types of complaints that come in are things that can be dealt with through rehabbing or educating the, the health professional so that they know not to do that or putting in place certain guardrails um, like a mentor or a practice monitor or, or making them go through some sort of uh, retraining process, nine times out of 10 solves those problems so you don't get the re-offender. 
So let me ask you, I'm a healthcare professional, Bob, so I became a doctor. And of course, because it's me, I, I am a fantastic doctor, okay? And uh, <laughs> anyways, I become a doctor. I never want to have to talk to you. I never want to have to hire you, okay? What am I going to do? What am I going to, what type of, how am I going to go about my practice that's going to make, so I don't need you, bro. Well, I think the first thing is um, education, making sure that you've put in best practices and being on top of cutting edge things. So if you're in a field, because most most people that work in a particular health field are are generally specialists, at least in the medical area. In nursing, um, that's more of a generalized, obviously, medical field, chiro chiropractic, naturopathic medicine, um, some of these integrative kind of like um, – you know, non-medical, what I would say, non-traditional medical practices. What I would say is two things, education, making sure you're staying on top of the, you know, new trends, things like that, being involved in the medical community in which you serve, um, and then following up and trying to make sure you've implemented best practices. You know, are you taking care of yourself, first of all? Are you doing the things to take care of yourself on a personal level? Um, are you do you have guardrails in place when you're in your met in your practice, whether it's a hospital or a doctor's office, you know, a private office? Um, are you taking care of your staff? Do you have good systems in place on the business side? Are you doing your medical billing correctly? Are you do you have a good office manager? Things like that. So it's more like, what am I doing on the personal level to take care of myself? What am I doing in the professional world in my own professional development? And then what do I have systems in place around me if I run like my own practice or I have a team around me that makes sure that my practice um, is firing on all on all pistons? Oh, right. I mean, that makes so perfect sense to me, because if I'm distracted with all the business aspects of my practice, now, you know, I have a bunch of HR concerns. So, you know, a doctor is typically a great, great at medicine, but they're not necessarily trained in how to be a business manager, how to run a business. So if I'm dealing with all these business issues that are not in my wheelhouse, I'm not going to be able to focus in, on the healthcare uh, I'm providing, you know? And that so that makes perfect sense to me to eliminate the distractions, focus on what I do best. Yeah. And I think also you have to look at um, there's two different probably two different people that are two different people that are listening to us today that are going to be listening to us. There are the non-professionals and then there are the professionals. So let me talk to the let me speak to like the, the general person right now. If you're going to a doctor and you have concerns about that doctor and you feel like there's been a problem, talk. Sometimes you can go talk to a lawyer, but the medical licensing process for that for that professional is there to protect you. So if you're concerned and you think that doctor did something wrong, first talk to your your medical provider and raise concerns. Ask questions and be be an active consumer of your medical care. Be involved in making informed decisions. And then if you feel like something happened, talk to the physician. Make sure you get your questions answered if you think that there was something wrong. And then if you don't feel like you're getting your questions answered, then go seek redress either by hiring a lawyer. Um, and honestly, most most medical problems never turn into a lawsuit and make you millions of dollars. That's not the point. But if you want to seek redress, you can also file a complaint with that doctor or health professional's licensing board. So there are ways that you as the medical seeking public can take care of yourself. Now, if you're the health professional and you get one of these complaints, the first thing I would always advise you to do is 
talk to a, there's two people you should call. Talk to a lawyer, find a lawyer that practices in this area and seek their advice. The second thing you need to do is call your insurance broker because most likely you have some sort of medical liability or professional liability insurance that you need to make your, your insurance carrier aware of. And they may actually have a lawyer available to you to talk to for free, or they may hire a lawyer to help you through that process. And then talk to that lawyer about the process and make sure you understand what you're getting involved with and let your lawyer be your advocate through that complaint licensing process. Yeah, I want to challenge you a little bit about that. I think you're 100% right. Um, but there's been a lot of studies on who gets sued by their patients, okay? Who gets the complaints? And it's the unlikable doctor who gets the complaints generally. It's the guy who is arrogant, who is boring, who is mean, um, who's not compassionate. They get the complaints. It tends to end up being the people who complain tend to end up having a personal difficulty with the with the professional rather than necessarily a practice difficulty, generally speaking. But if the doctor is humorous, they find, or it isn't is encouraging patients to talk to talk to them and ask questions and they're helpful and they're they're prompt and they um apologize if something went wrong and you know hey i'm sorry about that that's not how this was supposed to go um they tend to have less complaints less they're less likely to be sued do you do you think this is wise counsel yeah, I think so. And and here's what I think you're going to find is the reason you have a complaint filed against a health professional through their licensing board, nine times out of 10 is because there was a failure to communicate. The, the doctor or the health professional did not see this from the perspective of the patient and they did not um, proactively address the concerns of the patient during that process. And that can happen for a lot of reasons. Like doctors get busy. Um, they have too big of a high patient load. Like there's a bunch of reasons why sometimes communication breaks down, but nine times out of 10, most complaints come about um, because there's a breakdown in the, in the doctor patient relationship on the communication level. And so if you are a physician listening to this, making sure that you are adequately talking to your patient. Don't talk medical to them. Talk regular talk to them. You know, talk to them, not at them. And mm -hmm. listen to their concerns. And if you can do that, most of the time, you will calm that patient down because that patient's just scared. They're just scared that something's happening and they don't understand what's going on in their own body. And they're looking to you, Mr. Doctor, Mrs. Doctor, as the person that's going to help them through this process. And so not only are you a medical professional, but sometimes you have to be part therapist also. And you have to be able to listen and empathize and be empathetic to that patient. And if you are, a lot of times you can work through these situations. And that happens with every licensed professional. That's not just um, a doctor. I mean, that even happens with lawyers. Like, yeah. Clients that get mad at us in our legal profession, nine times out of 10, they get mad because we haven't communicated to them adequately, help them understand, help them understand where they're coming from. And, and so it all breaks down really to a relationship. Are you there to take care of the people that, that are being entrusted to your care? And if you are, 
then nine times out of 10, you're going to float through this very smoothly. And then for the one-off situations where something extreme happens, recognize where there's a problem, seek help from a legal professional, if you're a doctor and a health professional, and get ahead of that process instead of being the surgeon that does their own surgery on themselves. That's where I see a lot of people screw up, is that they they try to do this themselves. They don't recognize, they're not humble through the process. They get defensive. And that's where the that's where the doctor or the health professional makes mistakes through the investigative complaint process because they they don't recognize their error. They don't seek legal help and they try to do it themselves and they try to minimize what actually happened versus taking it very seriously, recognizing their license is on the line, even if it's a minor complaint, that their license could potentially be on the line and being proactive and working through an attorney to get ahead of that process. And if they do that nine times out of 10, it's going to work out in their favor. I mean, work out in their favor is a better result versus them doing it themselves. Dave. You know, I want to close the loop on a couple different things here. And the first thing is when a medical professional gets that letter or that phone call from the board and they say, we're concerned about your conduct with regard to whatever patient. When do they call? So um, they call you, I should say. Yeah, I would say the sooner they can, there's two people they should call at the beginning of this process. The minute you get contacted by your licensing board, and typically it's going to become a letter that says, hey, a complaint's been filed against you, and we want you to provide a written response. That's what starts the investigative process, the investigative complaint process. The minute you get contacted, there are two calls you should make. You should call a lawyer first, somebody that's knows what they're doing in this, not your not your, you know, your next door neighbor who you got a referral from, but find somebody who's qualified in this area. The second person you should call is your insurance broker. Okay. And then if you work in a hospital setting, the third person you should probably call is you need to report it up your chain of command if you work in a medical office, medical practice. Um, But those are really the three calls you need to make. You need to call your lawyer, you need to call your insurance broker, and you probably need to report it up your chain of command, depending on the the environment, the medical setting in which you work. Um, once you get involved with a lawyer early, then we are more able to help you navigate that process sooner. And the investigative process looks different based upon what particular licensing board and in what particular state. But generally, here's what it looks like. A written complaint comes in um, that medical board will assign us an investigator who will go and gather facts, gather the medical records, talk to the patient, talk to the per- the family members. If there's other witnesses, they may talk to them. And then they will reach out to the medical professional, the licensee, and then seek their input. And typically, they'll ask you to provide your records, your charts, um, provide a written response. And then that medical investigate that investigator will gather the, all of that information. They may want to interview the medical professional. Um, and so obviously, you would want to have a lawyer with you during that. And then eventually... That that once the investigation phase is completed, then it will be considered by the entire medical board or the medical licensing agency um, on how to resolve that complaint. And at least in Arizona, um, a medical complaint, a, a, a professional's license can only be disciplined if they engage in a very specific term called unprofessional conduct. And they have to buy and unprofessional conduct has a bunch of different scenarios by which something can rise to unprofessional conduct. But what the medical board or the licensing agency is looking at is, is what happened here? Does that rise to the level of unprofessional conduct? And does it fit within one of these enumerated categories of unprofessional conduct? And if it does, 
How are we going to resolve that? And so once the medical board or the licensing agency considers that, then they can dismiss it. They can require the, the professional to have some education. They can they can take some what we call non-disciplinary steps, which don't doesn't affect the license of the professional, or um, they can take some action against the license, put them on probation, make them do some ordered um, continuing education under under you know under a uh, somebody who's going to watch over their practice, um, have a practice monitor, suspend their license, and there's a whole bunch yeah. of things. Now you also would have due process rights around all that. Maybe you have an administrative hearing, but ultimately the medical agency has to figure out how to resolve that complaint and getting a lawyer involved early to help you navigate that process is how you do it. And that's really what I do in my practice is helping medical professionals or, or health professionals work through that process and, and hopefully educating them about it and helping them hopefully get a, a positive outcome on the back end. It, it, that makes sense to me. And the reason why is if you're a medical professional, you're trained in medicine, you're not trained in advocacy. And lawyers' jobs are to package the story and why the story is supposed to work out favorably in favor of our client or make the story in, you know, show the story in the best light that's our, in the best light in favor of our client. So that makes perfect sense to me. We want, you're going to help people package, package themselves more palatably for the board. One question. I'm a consumer. And I don't want to pick the doctor that has 1,000 complaints against them. Is there a way for me to know if that doctor or medical professional has complaints against them? Um, yes, um, and it depends. Um, it depends a lot on the state in which you're looking for them. But if you go to that local state agency, licensing agency, or state regulatory board, go to their website. You can typically type up and do a, a search for the doctor you're looking for. And it, it, if that doctor has been disciplined, had action actually taken against their license, that's typically available online for a period of time. Some states limit it to like five years. Some states go back 20 years. It just depends upon which the state. Um, it will not tell you if a complaint's been filed, um, it will only typically show you information on whether that physician's been disciplined. The other place you can look at it, and it's kind of a, you know, what the default for a lot of people do is there's websites like Health Grades or Yelp or Google Reviews that give at least information, that give you a little bit more information about that professional. Um, and then also realize sometimes you're limited by your insurance plan and sort of where you can go. And sometimes your insurance plan will also provide a grade or a a review or a um, assessment of the doctors in that health plan. So there's a couple different resources you can go to. You can go to the state license, the state licensing board. You can kind of look online and do your own research, or you can even look at kind of how that person is graded by your insurance carrier. So that's usually a good way to get your questions answered, or you know maybe see sometimes even seek a, a, a second opinion from a physician if you don't feel comfortable. At the end of meeting with that physician, um, for like this is for non-emergency issues, but um, but you don't feel comfortable, you always can go talk to another doctor. You are not locked into that particular doctor. And so what I would tell the medical public is be active in your medical care, be educated about your medical care. Don't just be a, a passive consumer, be an active consumer of your medical care. And if you do that, nine times out of ten, you're gonna be fine. Yeah, this is good advice, Dave. Dave, thanks for coming on the show. I really Thank appreciate you very much. It. I really appreciate you having me, and this is a, a fun topic to talk about.
If I am a medical professional, I need to get your services. How do I contact you? Um, you can contact me um, on my website at, at www.davismiles.com, or you can contact me through my email address at dwilliams, D-W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S, at davismiles.com. All right. Talk to you soon, Dave. Thanks. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Is That Even Legal? Remember, this isn't legal advice. If you have a legal question for yourself, reach out to an attorney. Remember that we're fun. We're lovable, and we are here to help you. To my listeners in 62 countries across the world, if you have something you want to explore, email us at producer at evenlegal.com. And don't be shy about leaving a review for this podcast on your favorite podcast forum. See you next time.